You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Um, we're partway through a series called It Takes a Village. If you've missed any parts of that, I'd encourage you to catch up. If you're new in the room, I just want to say there's, there's kind of two things about it. Firstly, I want to in, intentionally speak into parenting. And the second thing is I want to intentionally speak into what it is to, to raise sons and daughters, for us to be mothers and fathers spiritually of other people. Just to apply that a little bit wider, somebody said to me the other week, you could kind of just say it's kind of relevant to anybody who wants to live well. And I was like, yeah, but hopefully, hopefully it is that as well. But, you know, over the, the last few weeks, it's been amazing to see some of those moments of investment of what the Lord does and how he takes that further than maybe what we were foreseeing. When we were at the weekend away, seeing, I think it will stay with me for the rest of my life, but seeing some of the under-18s be prayed for and their openness and receptivity to the presence of God was, was quite remarkable. I've heard even just this last week of some of the impact that moment had on some of them. And I want to encourage us to just keep being open to what he wants to do. Last week, I was hearing um, in the crash that I think there were seven babies in that room. Each and every one of them was prayed for. They're powerful moments of just depositing something at the presence of God. I love those moments of investing and imparting and resting in his presence. And today, just before we, we jump into that series, I just, I just want to do something if I can. Um, I've not actually practiced this, so hopefully it's going to be okay. Hold on. Sorry, it's not a big spider or what have you. Okay, here we go. I've made this more than it is now. There it is. I just, I just wanna, I just wanna ask you. Would, would you just take a moment? You don't have to shout out, but just in your, in your own mind, would you just consider what you see? I know it's a beach ball. That's, that's the obvious thing. But I think, I think for some of you who are like down this, this middle bit, you kind of see in red, unless you're colourblind. Just clocked one of you. Um, some of you over that side, you're seeing a bit of blue and red. And if you're over the other side, you're seeing pink and red. That's probably roughly what you're seeing. Depends where you sit. Uh, depends which side of the room you're on. It depends exactly how you're looking. I just want to say, if you stood where I am, it's kind of completely different. I, I was seeing yellow, green and white. And actually, if I'm really honest, exactly where I'm stood compared to you guys, I'm... I'm seeing something entirely different to maybe what many of you were seeing. And I guess I just wanted to start by saying um, and to highlight that we see things differently depending on where we're sat. And we see things differently depending on our experiences and our exposure, particularly in the season of our upbringing. And it's really, really, really important that we realise that we're built and we're designed for community and that we're changed and we're shaped together and that iron sharpens iron and that your rough edges will be softened by others and your discipleship journey will be furthered and invested in by others. You cannot do this thing alone. There's many ways uh, that are helpful for that. We often talk about small groups because I think it's vital because close, accountable relationships are vital to your growth. And so much of our, uh, our nature and so much of our culture causes us to try and do the exact opposite, to try and do it alone. You, you just annoy me. I don't need you. You know, how many times have you thought that kind of thing even about people in this room? 
if, if you're honest with yourself. And I fully get it, and I fully get that it's hard, and I fully get that for those of you that were able to come, some of you will have found things like the weekend away actually quite hard. Because as fun and as great as it is, it also throws up all kinds of issues and all kinds of insecurities and all kinds of vulnerabilities. Where do I fit and how do I fit and who do I relate to? And so many of those moments where we have those collision moments and we, we bump into each other's stuff. And um, I get it. But equally, shared life has to be built around Jesus. We're not isolated individuals but we're part of a body and we're part of a body together and we're all members therefore of each other and we grow into spiritual maturity and and we cooperate with each other in seeing the kingdom of God advanced and within that community as we see I think with the early church what happened was they gained strength and they gained support and they gained protection from the corroding influences of the culture and the world around them. And it prepared them to face anything that the devil might throw at them. And God calls us as a people into maturity in Christ, in a body. And I, I won't read all of it because of time, but this, if you've got time this week, is the stuff of Ephesians 4. God has called us into the maturity as a body, the body of Christ. That's what Ephesians 4.13 talks about as living, where you come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we might be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 15, he helps us growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. His body makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing in full love. You cannot do this thing alone. Honestly, if you take nothing else today, I just want you to remember that. You can't do this alone. It takes a village to raise you. If you're trying to do it alone, you'll just be seeing one or two colours. If you want to be mature, if you want to become whole, if you want to step into the fullness of all that God has for you, you need to have other people alongside you. And it will be deeply, deeply, deeply rewarding. It will also be deeply, deeply costly. I would say single-handedly, it's been one of the greatest joys and the hardest things Steph and I have ever been part of, life alongside other people. But the New Testament concept of community is actually quite foreign, I would say, to many Western churches. The ideas of relationships has been members of one another in communities where individuals grow into maturity and cooperate with each other in the kingdom of God is jolly hard work. You will surely know that. And if not, I'd kind of question whether or not you're doing it because it's hard work. This isn't a birthed overnight thing. This is something that takes time and it takes commitment and our natural, quite fierce drive for self-entitlement and independent spirits so often causes us to try and do it alone. It causes people to, to uproot and to believe that, that, you know, the next church I attend will be the one that meets my needs. And that the next church will have the church leaders that will listen and speak to me the way I want. And the next small group I try will be the one where, where I'll settle down and nobody's got stuff that drains me and winds me up. Honestly, I'm not, 
I realize I've gone in hard and fast. I'm not trying to attack you or make you uncomfortable. I just want you to realize, and we've got to be honest, that one of the significant tricks that the enemy so often tries to play with us is to cause relational breakdown that causes us to step back from community and step back from the fullness of the church. Of course it is. Of course it is, because it's the thing that Jesus is coming back for, and it's so precious to the Father, and it's how he shapes us and how he molds us. Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus said this, Many, many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The good news about the kingdom will be, be preached throughout the whole world so that the nations will hear it and then the end will come. I'm not, I'm not trying to say we're in those times, but I do think we're in tricky times. And it's certainly time that we don't play games. We're not trying to excite or entertain the crowds. We need to morph ourselves into being shepherds whose job is to call people into the kind of community that lays down their fleshly, self-centered wills of independence so that God might have his long-term loving community built among us for all that is ahead. You know, the earliest, um, we talk about them loads, but small groups, the earliest small groups in the vineyard were called kinships. And kinship is a connection in, in almost in blood is like through marriage or adoption it's family relationship and it's going nowhere and the the phrase so often that I think the, the bible uses is is one another or each other have you ever noticed how many times the bible like uses that kind of terminology and it's kind of crucial to the whole thing mark 9:50 be at peace with one another john 13:14 wash one another's feet john 13:34 love one another romans 12:10 be devoted to one another in love romans 12:10 honor one another above yourself romans 12:16 live in harmony with one another romans 14:13 stop passing judgment on one another 1 corinthians 12:25 have equal concern for one another Galatians 5 13 serve one another Galatians 6 2 carry each other's burdens Ephesians 4 2 be patient bearing with one another in love I could go on and on and on and on and on but I think I think you get the idea that one another and each other is crucial to this whole thing and it takes a village it takes a desire and a commitment for us to do this together I want to say don't don't just see things from your angle you're healing your wholeness and the extension and the expansion of the kingdom of God and all that he has for you is found in something wider than yourself than you're able to see on your own or, or find on your own. With, with, with that in mind, let's, let's just jump in again to the next part of this series. Um, some of you, it's funny, you, you, you said to me, you're loving the series, but please can it end soon? Not, not in a bad way, because, but, but, I, but I know it's hard. I know this has been hard. As I was driving in this morning, uh, it was just me and our youngest live in the car. She's five. And I said to her, what do you think Jesus is saying to this community this morning? And, and you were, I'm always trying to teach her just to hear the whispers of the father. And she said, Daddy, I think they're going to have to be brave. And I was like, wow, why, what's made you said that? You have to be brave, she said, when you're scared. That's all I think he's saying. I was like, to be honest, if I'm really honest, I think you are going to have to be brave again this morning because to hold a mirror up and to do business with our roots and some of our brokenness is actually really hard and honestly you're gonna to have to be brave 
Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel about you as I do, for you have a special place in my heart. Paul's in prison, and yet his heart is deeply warmed by all he's seeing God do among the people. I know this series is hard, but oh, how deeply warmed my heart is, seeing what Jesus is doing, how his spirit is ministering to a number of you, freeing you and healing you, and equipping you for the next stage of life and ministry together. Kind of with that in mind, I just want to say, I'm about to wade into something that I know is pretty difficult for a number of you, but we've got to go there. I want to briefly look at anger, uh, then I want to look at decision making, and then I want to look at anxiety. So no light, easy morning, eh? Uh, but let's, let's, just, let's just start with anger. You know, breaking, how do you break the cycle of yelling and arguing that seems to affect so many and so many families today? It's, it's, it's natural and it's healthy for families to disagree. It's harmful for that to end in, in loud words that so often become hurtful words. And anger's an emotion that has a very, very powerful physical characteristic for the fight or flight mode. And it's a complex emotion that, that raises the adrenaline. And, and the ways we choose to respond in those moments can become our anger patterns. You'll have probably heard it said like that before. But I just kind of want to reflect a little bit on anger patterns because communication patterns can actually be quite hard to break. Have you ever identified what your pattern is, particularly when it comes to anger? Because it might be a cold stare, it might be a slow burn, it might be a a sarcastic jab, it might be an explosive outburst. Actually, not necessarily in the same way, but your reaction might be a wounded retreat. I just kind of want to ask you, if you can just reflect for a moment, what, what is your pattern or your reaction to anger? Because we start to react to ways that then become quite predictable. We've done it before, so we do it again, and we become known for it, and it starts to become reinforced. And those patterns, if we don't give it some time and attention before the spirit, can become quite hurtful and quite destructive. So how do, how do we help ourselves? How do we help ourselves? How do we help others? And how do we help our spiritual children when anger rises up within them proverbs 15 verse 1 says this a gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words make tempers flare anger even just by that verse is a multiplying emotion an angry response to angry words multiplies anger further. So anger is a multiplying emotion. And God gives us a moment, again, you can take it from that verse, just to shift something. And, and what is that? Well, it's that if anger is met with gentle words, it provides an opportunity for God to move and to do something different. So how do you break the cycle of anger I guess we kind of say this similar thing nearly every week. It actually starts with you because you will have an effect on those around you. So if you exchange those harsh words for gentle words, there is significant power in gentle words. Gentle words are spoken from a gentle heart. Again, we've reflected on this in previous weeks, but Matthew 15, 18, the things that come from the mouth come from the heart. So what's going to come out of your mouth is going to come from what is going on in your heart. To choose your words and to change your words means to change and to deal 
with your heart. Taking the choice to cultivate a gentle heart will have a lifelong impact, I would say, on your children and on your spiritual children, how you interact and react in those moments. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meek does not mean weak. Some of you are instantly asked, that's weakness. It's not weakness to be meek. Jesus obviously um, had a different power scheme involved than the one that so often we see modeled or evident in the world around us. When we don't get what we want in the way that we want it, what do we do? Do we turn up the volume and the temperature of the conversation and do we bang the table and start to use more aggressive words? Yet when we look at Jesus, he was gentle and he was humble of heart. Quiet, uh, sorry, gentle doesn't mean quiet. It doesn't mean that you swallow your anger and you live with anxiety. Gentle means power under control. And as a parent, you have power in that relationship with your child. In, as you spiritually mother and father, whether you acknowledge it or not, there is a degree sometimes where you have power in how you hold and act and communicate in that relationship, in those you lead. And when, when power's out of control, it's destructive. When it's under the control of God, it can do quite remarkable and amazing things. So how do you get it under control? I just want to give you three ways in which I think you can live with the power that God has given you. The first one is out of control. That is me doing whatever I want in the moment. It's often, it would be marked by anger. It would lack discipline. It would be almost an explosion waiting to happen. That's one, one. That's one way, obviously, the one that I'm not endorsing. You can live that way. Now, what I would say is, you may not have fully realized this, but it's highly likely you will have members of your family or people close to you that will have not said anything about that because actually they will be afraid too because of the reaction they might get. So they will have learned to live with it. That's way number one. Way number two is in control. You think you're not supposed to be angry, so you put it in a little box of control. Now, you might be miserable in that box and how you're relating and living, but at least you're containing it, and, and you're living like it appears okay, at least for a while, and you find a number of ways to deal with it that almost become quite religious, and it's all in check, although occasionally it comes out of the box, and when it comes out of the box, it's highly destructive, and it's actually quite um, instant, and things start to crash. That's the second way. Can I just pose or propose a, a third way? Because you aren't meant to live out of control or in control. You're supposed to live under the control of God. A life of genuine joy, adventure, and hope. In a moment of anger, the power to respond with gentleness comes from knowing that gentleness is where the real power comes from, if that makes sense. And gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, gentleness is something that we want to see more evident in our lives as the Holy Spirit has more control in our lives. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate, so stop before this dispute breaks out. <laughs> I love Proverbs. So blunt, so straight with wisdom. If you find yourself arguing, it will so often feel like it's the other person's fault. You're arguing because it's their fault. And if the communication is going to change, if that pattern and rhythm is going to change, it's going to start with you deciding 
to change. And it's going to start with you deciding to give a gentle answer. And it's going to start with you diffusing the situation. It's not about loud versus quiet. It can be so easy to think it's loud versus quiet. But honestly, you can be scathing in a quiet way. You can be incredibly harsh in a quiet way. It's not about volume. It's about the words you choose. And it's less about lowering your voice. It's more about humbling your heart. It's where we start to recognize the wrong that would be in us and it stops blaming others and start accepting that we can do something about it. And dealing with anger patterns, I guess, comes down to a number of things. One would be to find ways in your life to work out quickly and easily when, when you feel it rising in you to be able to say, I was wrong. Diffuse it, take the pin out of the thing. Find ways to break the barriers that are so often created when you start to flare up so that you can make the choice to find love and gentleness in that moment. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Phenomenal wisdom. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. For some of you, I also just want to say, um, this this probably runs a little bit deeper for some of you. And I found myself in my uh, mid to late teens, I was hurt to the point where that was destructive. And I wouldn't say it was necessarily bursts of um, uncontrollable anger, but I'd seen in numerous places around my life and environments quite close to me uh, that I was exposed to that crushed me. And what it caused me to do was to run from it. Actually, I would say now I've had to learn to stand up sometimes because the tendency can be that wounded retreat, which is also not actually that helpful, and I'd hide from it. But, but those earlier years, I carried a hurt that was expressed in destruction. And so... Um, I'd, I'd be in environments where whatever I was talking about might be, you know, someone might be talking about my dad, and I'd just break stuff. Actually, not even sometimes deliberately. I found myself, uh, I remember a couple of occasions, once I was just holding a glass, I'd just smash the glass. Once I was just sat in a chair, and I just crushed the arm of this chair, I just ripped it to pieces. And um, buried hurt will come out. For many of you, that may come out as uncontrollable anger for many of you it'll almost be uncontrollable hurt and I know I've given you hopefully a, a few things to think about but some of you I just want to encourage you you're going to need to tap into the root of it and you're going to need to expose it to Jesus if you don't show it to Jesus you're going to show it to somebody else and if you show it to somebody else it's probably going to hurt them and it's also likely it's going to hurt you you know, a few friends at that time prayed for me, and I realize this may seem an alien concept to some of you, but I would say it quite literally lifted off me, and it's never returned. I don't think I could find it or access it now if I even tried. And what I want to say to you is this. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Let him let him have it. Let him continue his work. Some of you, you've got to get it on the table before him and let him heal you and free you. It's kind of like hitting a, a, um, a nail with a hammer and missing the nail and hitting your finger. Some of you never said, ow, 
Some of you never had the hurt moment, and that pain went in and it went down, and whether that was conscious or subconscious, whether it was invited or invite, uninvited or invited, pain takes hold, and pain then starts to come out in different ways, and one of the ways it comes out is through anger. And I want to encourage you afresh to just consider putting it at the feet of Jesus and letting him heal you. That's, that's the first thing. I realize some of you, that's, that's hard. That's anger. Let's just have a quick look at decisions because decisions are all about values and we pass on wisdom through our words and through we help our children and how we help our spiritual children. And actually even with like anger and other stuff, sometimes it's about helping them to make wise decisions. Can I, I just give you three quick pointers that I think are going to help you with decisions and helping others make those decisions? Is speak at the right time speak in the right way, and choose the right words. And I know it's kind of obvious, but let me, let me just unpack it. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Proverbs 15, 11, timely advice is like a lovely basket of golden apples. <laughs> Phenomenal. But um, it, it kind of sounds obvious, but the right time is actually often when they're listening. And they're often listening when they have questions. They often ask questions when you're doing or you're trying to do something else. And we often get caught up in the moment of, hang on, I'm just doing this. But actually often that's the moment to invest. And the opportune time for them is usually right in that exact moment. I had one even myself this morning. I'm like, I'm trying to do this. You're asking me this. This is a moment that I've got to invest. Don't you find it interesting? There's so much of the stuff Jesus did was allowing himself to be interrupted and seizing the moment. And it's therefore in that moment being ready to speak. So it's speaking the right way. Often the secret for helping people make the right decision is avoid yourself making the decision and instead guide them to make a wise decision. You could make the wisest decisions for your children or spiritual children every day without ever actually passing on to them wisdom because you haven't allowed them to make the decision. And that, I'd say, takes great patience. I'm always constantly, pretty much every day, trying to shape our children's decision on how they spend their pocket money. No, we do not need another tub of expensive slime. Like, what is that even about? Why, why do they love slime? I, I don't. It goes everywhere, literally everywhere. You can't get it out of the carpet. They want to play with it always everywhere in places you don't want them to play with it. And it's quite expensive. Like, whoever came up with the idea of making slime and potting it is like... Anyway, but there, there, there's been a few moments where the slime choice has meant they've not had money left for the things then that actually if they'd awaited, they would have wanted to buy. And uh, they've impulsively bought this jolly tub of slime. But they, they wanted the slime, not the thing that I wanted them to have or the thing that I'd have preferred they waited for. And actually, there's no harm in the slime. So the slime it is. You know, and I, I know that's a slightly trivial example, but you, you get the moment in everyday life and, and spiritually with people you interact with and you're speaking into their life and helping them make small decisions. And those small decisions earn you the voice to step into and help them with the larger decisions. And we're constantly, gently guiding decision-making processes because it forms the platform 
to stuff that actually really matters. And there's a, there's a real difference between uh, the ways you can say things. Have you, have you thought about that? Have you realized that? I can be like, how, how, what, what did you do today? Or what did you, oh, what have you been doing today? Or what did you do today? See what I mean? Like you can say the same thing, but in a very different way. And one of them speaks of care and interest and belief. And the other one speaks of failure. And it speaks of mismet expectations. And it speaks of condemnation. That's not their doing, that's your doing. And you get the opportunity to sow and invest that seed. And I just want to encourage you to think about it. And then the final thing is choosing the right words. So often I think we can feel that we're, import, we're imparting some great wisdom to enable other people to live well because we've lived well and we can hand it on. You know, I honestly think sometimes the, the greater wisdom actually comes from just asking questions. If you look at Jesus, God in human flesh, he carried the, the eternity of wisdom. And yet he often just asked questions to help people discern God's direction for living. You know, things like, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? Or why are you so afraid? Or who do you say I am? Or why such commotion and wailing? Or how many loaves do you have? You know, all of those questions that he asked brought greater wisdom than actually the answer that the person gave him. And it, it's, it's kind of like, honestly, I hate this analogy. I just couldn't think of another one. This nearly killed me. But it's, it's kind of like maths at school. The teacher was often so much less interested in the, in the answer that you gave, more in how you got to that answer. And do you see what I mean? I think sometimes we want to rush in with the answer or the solution. But what we're trying to teach is how to come to that point. That's the thing that I think we're, be we're believing for and we're investing and, and trying to impart. And I hope that's helpful. But let me finally just pick up on, an, on anxiety. We... As you will have noticed, and so many of you will be aware, this is increasingly having an impact on emerging generations and current generations. And if you look back on your own life, if you look back on your own childhood, you quite quickly will be able to draw to mind uh, a minefield of anxieties. Children often in those moments can feel powerless as they face an unknown and an uncertain future and that in itself sets them up for the feeling of worry or anxiety and we've, we've got to try and find we've got to try and offer something of the wisdom of God to help them navigate that complexity Proverbs 12 25 worry weighs a person down an encouraging word cheers a person up worry weighs a person down an encouraging word cheers a person up. When a, when a child, when those you're investing in is worried, that verse says we're taught to speak kindly. Don't you find that amazing? Because so often when we're confronted with it, what it does is it stirs something up in us that destabilizes us. And in that moment causes us to quite instantly respond, often in a way that isn't always the kindest. And this verse is suggesting, and I think actually reveals a truth, that worry can be translated into joy. Worry can be shifted to joy. So what's, what's a kind word? A kind word is something that cares about detail. 
is a concern for another person that reaches into the smallest detail. Kindness, again, as with gentleness, is a fruit of the spirit. So why is kindness so important? Because it really communicates that we care. And when people know we care, they find a degree of security. When they find security, trust is built. And in that place, you can build joy because it's the joy of the Lord that then defeats worry because we realize we're not facing something alone. Now, surely we, we all want to be that. Surely, you would hope. But so often, sadly, unkind things just spill out of our mouths. So I want to say it's often a matter of focus. Now, the, the easiest place so often for us to land is me, my needs, my schedule, my priorities, my world. That's our, our natural default place where we'd sit. And it's impossible to be kind to others when I'm focused on me because kindness by its very definition requires me to focus on others rather than myself. So how do I, how do I get the focus off me? I think there's two truths that will change your focus and will be a significant point of unlocking kindness. Now, I'm going to whiz through these quite quickly, but I just want to say, I want to encourage you to dig in a little bit more with them because this will really shape you. In fact, this is bigger than just talking about kindness. These two things will have a monumental impact on your lives, who you are and the way you live. Um, so, because the first is this, it's your identity in Christ, and the second is God's focus on you. Now, they both be, may both seem a little bit unrelated to kindness, but knowing these truths and knowing them yourself will give you the power, I believe, to be kind to others. So let me just start with your identity in Christ. To get the focus off you you've got to have a pretty firm sense of security in who you really are. Otherwise, you will constantly need to focus on yourself to make yourself feel better. You are free to care for others when your identity and the core of who you are is actually found in Jesus. That is such a key truth for us to grasp. So many people will pour out their pain and their problems and, and yet this, this is a key truth to unravel and to settle that. You don't have to pour it out once you find where it will be settled. Some um, parents in their own brokenness will take the unhealthy path of minimizing themselves and becoming codependent. A codependent parent has made their child so important and their only identity then becomes one of parenting. Does that make sense? Uh, that's the extreme version of watching your child play football and you're the one that constantly is shouting at the ref. You know, it's the, it's the parent who actually, you need your child to do a certain job or go to a certain university because actually that matters to your self-worth. Now that may sound quite far from anything that we would do, but honestly, it's actually not. It can be quite easy to take steps towards that kind of thinking and behavior. Now, thankfully, the answer and the solution is always found in a greater identity in Christ. And actually, I'd say you can apply this to anything. So many people find their identity in the thing they do rather than who they are. Have you, have you found that even yourself? Do you find significance in your job or your function? And it starts to become quite elevated out of all perspective. Or actually... For some of you, it will be the complete reverse of that. 
you feel so devalued in who you are that you'll slip under the table in any conversation because you're nothing or you feel you have nothing to contribute. Now, what I want to say is once you give your life to Jesus, everything changes, just sometimes it actually takes quite a while for our head to catch up with what's happened to our heart. So let me just say a few things. Who you are in Christ, you are in Christ because Christ is in you. An exchange in your life has occurred. You give your life to Jesus, and he then gives his life to you. You become a new person, and that's where your identity is found. You don't find it in parenting. You don't find it in your job or your stage or season of life. You find it in Christ. So who are you in Christ? These are the things you're probably going to need to reflect on a little bit more. But John 1, 2, you are a child of God. John 15, 15, you're a friend of Jesus. John 15, 16, you are chosen and appointed by Jesus to bear his fruit. Romans 8, 17, you are a co-heir with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you're a member of Christ's body. 2 Corinthians 15, 17, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5:18, you are reconciled to God and a minister of reconciliation. Ephesians 1, 1, you're a saint. Ephesians 2, 2, you are God's, sorry, 2, 10, you're God's workmanship and masterpiece. Colossians 3, 12, you are chosen and dearly loved. Ephesians 2, 5, you are alive in Christ. Romans 3, sorry, Romans 8, 37, you're more than a conqueror. 1 John 5, 18, you are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. 1 John 3, 2, you are to be like Christ when he returns. I could go on and on and on and on, but can I ask you this? Do you regularly and often read your Bible? Because some of you, you need that truth to go in. Honestly, I know who I am because I know whose I am. You've got to find your identity in him or you will be searching for it anywhere and everywhere else relationships jobs striving whatever it is if you want to know who you were created to be and who you were created to become go to the one who created you and let him speak it over you rather than anything else or anyone else in life to get the focus off yourself you need to find and acknowledge and recognize your identity in Christ. That's the second thing. Let me just finish. Sorry, that's the first thing. Let me just finish with the second thing. Because the second choice that empowers kindness is, is, is really this. If you read Psalm 139, you will rapidly realize God's focus is on you. You need to know your identity in Christ. Then you need to know the focus he has on you. Because if you realize how much he's for you, you can take it off yourself and you can start to put it onto other people. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I stand and sit. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me and you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I pray that some of you are going to start to understand some of that actually today. 
Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds, don't they? Plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? When I see that God's heart is turned and tuned towards me, I don't need to seek and try and find affection or affirmation in any other place. I can simply turn my heart towards others because I know who I am and I know whose I am. When I see the kindness of God, the kindness of creator God turned towards me, I'm able to speak and act with kindness towards others. And the healthy way to get the focus off you is to realize that God's focus is on you. Instead of being independent and codependent, we become mutually dependent on him. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Don't you love that? Not only did he want to do it, but it gave him great pleasure to do it. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us and who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and all understanding. When we realize that we're adopted sons and daughters, we can begin to take our place as mothers and fathers because when our identity is safe and is secure in him, we know just how postured towards us he is and it aligns and realigns any misfiring we might start to have. Shall we stand together? Let's just let the Lord birth some of that inner stuff. Will you come and join? We've, we've moved fast and I've, I've hit fairly hard, but let's just have a moment just before the Lord. You might not have been in this environment before. You might just help, just close your eyes. You're just going to wait on the, on the Holy Spirit. He's a person who moves and ministers among us and we welcome him. So Lord, we welcome you. Move among us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. I just even pray over us as we start that. Some of you are just going to have to be brave now. Come and be brave before the Lord. Let's just let him stir. Sometimes he just speaks to us in the whispers and we want to hear the whispers. There'll be so much this morning he's doing. Some of you, as I was, I was just talking about, you've got to do this with alongside other people. I think that some of you will feel so alone. And actually, sometimes the enemy, I think, speaks a narrative of loneliness over us. I think sometimes that's even a spiritual thing that just needs to break. Some of you, um, you will carry anger. Some of you will have been on the receiving end of anger. And that can be incredibly bruising and painful. Some of you, I know I was speaking about um, uh, the, the need for kindness to respond to people who are walking through anxiety. Some of you will be walking through a season and a time where actually you are anxious and there is a rising and an increasing anxiety on your life. I, I, I just want to say I believe the Spirit of God is so kind. He's a comforter and he, he would want to meet you this morning with 
such kindness as you put that under. Of course, there'll be loads of ways to work through that and work that out. And sometimes it's medication, sometimes it's, it's all sorts of different things. But I just want to say, let the Lord be kind to you again, if that's, if that's you and that rises in you. And, and some of you, um, this totally unrelated to that. Actually, it might be related, but I just, I just had a sense this morning. It's almost like there's some overflow of the pandemic sat on some of you. It's just it's been a very painful season. It's impacted how you've parented, how you may have had children in that season, how you've worked, how you interacted with others. It's like it's brought to the service loads of things. And um, I think with all of it, the Lord just wants to speak so clearly a, a fresh truth of who you are in him. Let him settle your soul again this morning. I just sense as well, some of you, that's like, um, some of you have had a confusion and a fog around your mind. Some of you are like a pain around your temples. Some of you, um, there's, there's like a, a fear sat on you, uh, um, particularly around your health. It's like just, your, your mind is not settled because you're constantly just fearing something. I think, um. The, the fruit of that is anxiety, but the root of some of that fear is of the enemy. He's tried to bind you with something. see the Holy Spirit resting on a number of you around the room. He's already at work. <clears throat> so let's let's respond to the Holy Spirit. Let's actively cooperate with what he wants to do among us. Let's say yes and keep saying yes. So like Paul said earlier, let's just put the stuff on the table before Jesus. Let's let it drop before him. He can bring it all to peace. So whether you, you know you battle anger or you've been exposed to it... <clears throat> Or there's anxiety that you are walking through yourself or you're walking alongside somebody else. We're all in this village together and... Yeah, we all want to, to live well. We're all involved in this business of raising sons and daughters. So let's get as free as we can yeah. to be raised and to raise others. So if you would like to be prayed for, whatever that might be for, why don't you come to the, to the front now, to the sides. We'll make sure that someone comes and prays with you. But we just love to make space for the Holy Spirit to, to do what only he can do. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, as you do that, I think some of you... Um, uh, the Lord's going to put a spirit of peace on you, some of you this morning. You know you're called, actually, to be peace givers, peace bringers. 
it's almost the reverse. It's like he's going to bring peace to some of you who need peace, but as some of you carry peace, he's the Prince of Peace, and he's going to equip and empower some of you to, to take that, to bring that, to minister that as, 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 as though you're the hands and feet of Jesus, as though you're the carrier of the Prince of Peace. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.